You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Uh, so you can open up your Bible to Psalm 88, or if you have the Bible app, turn on your Bible and go to Psalm 88. And if you don't have a Bible, and I would really encourage you to have one in hand as we go through the scriptures today. There's a table right there I see with Bibles on it. There's a table right there. Um, there's one in the lobby as well. We would love for you to be able to have those, and you can take one and keep it, and, or you can give one to somebody you know who doesn't have one. Uh, but we're going to read out of Psalm 88, and I'm going to invite Annie to come up and read it for us today. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, to the Korah master, according to Malalath Leneth, a maskal of Heman the Ezraite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer become before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my life is full of, tr- for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave like those whom you remember no more, for they have cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves, Selah. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Is your steadfast love declared in their grave, or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness, or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Thank you, Annie. I had Annie read that um, one because I think she's really cute. That's my daughter. Um, And two, I want to recognize that in big church here, we have big kids. Um, The kindergarten through fifth grade classes are taking a break. and um, It's wonderful that you're here, all of you. Elementary school kiddos, it's, it's great to have you here. You're a big blessing to us. And uh, the, I hope you enjoy the sermons this summer as you're in here with us. So thank you for being here. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 88 today. You may have noticed the strange disconnect between a cute nine-year-old girl reading this scripture that's really quite sorrowful, full of sadness. Um, many of uh, the psalms that we read, if you read a psalm like this, it might, be, it might say a song of lament. It might say a song of lament, and a lot of them end with a happy note. It's like sad, 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 last two verses, but everything's okay. I think that's a lot of how we act um, in, our, in our lives. That's how we want things to be. If we run into each other in the lobby, how are you doing? Well, things aren't so good. I'm sick. My family's going through a tough time, but everything's fine. And this psalm doesn't end quite that way, does it? doesn't end with a note of hope. And I think a lot of us want to come to church and get a jolt of happy today, right? That's, that's why, maybe why some of you are here, but I think what we more so need is the Bible. We need God. 
And what we're going to encounter today is not just a lament. And a lament is something that I feel like I'm kind of good at, because to me, lament means complaining. Um, I'm good at complaining. Uh, but this is not about complaining. It's about who, it, who, are your, who are our sufferings directed to? Who are we going to today? And here's the main point. For those of you who are note takers, yeah, like to have the main point written down, I have a slide for you. People liked this last time. Uh, Psalm 88 is going to teach us how to pray for deliverance from our suffering, and it's going to point us to Jesus. The psalm is going to teach us how to pray for deliverance from our sufferings, and it's going to point us to Jesus. So take lament, and if it means complaint to you, and sort of twist a little bit to, to recognize that it's a prayer for deliverance. Yes, it's a lament, but who is it directed to? And at this point, we should recognize it's a little awkward for some of us because we maybe don't feel this way today. Maybe you didn't come in feeling down. Some of you did. Some of you came in feeling really happy. It's the weekend, Sunday, it's awesome here. Um, but I want you to recognize that psalms like Psalm 88 or other psalms that don't fit your current mood are still there. You can't ignore them. And they're an important part of Scripture. I read a quote um, as I was preparing for this, uh, which says, Others don't want to pray in terms of an anguish that they have not experienced. But do such people think that the prayers they use are merely their own prayers? The Psalms' prayer is that of the whole church. The Psalms, this, is, this was key for me, the Psalms force us to widen our hearts to the full dimensions of the redemption. The Psalms force us to widen our hearts to the full dimensions of the redemption. So I'm gonna, I'll, I'll pray for us and then we'll go through the psalm together. Dear Lord, I ask that you would increase in this place as we decrease, that the words of Psalm 88 would be real to us today, that it would be in your name that we're gathering and learning and reading and and praying, that it would not be for our own self-service, that this would be glorifying to you. And Lord, as different people are in this room with different stories of suffering and of joy, I ask, Lord, that you would bind us together as one church body under your word. We thank you for this opportunity to gather today, and we thank you that we're here. We thank you that you're here with us, just as you were on the first Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit filled up all of the people that were gathered in that room. I ask, Lord, that you would fill up this place and fill up our hearts. May we be temples to your spirit. Amen. All right, so here's the plan. We're going to go through the psalm uh, again, verse by verse, and just see what it has to say for us. Uh, let's, let's take a look before verse 1, actually. Um, verse, before verse 1, we have the introduction. It says, a song, Psalm of the Sons of Korah, to so the choir master, according to Mahalath Leonoth, a maskil of Heman the Ezraite. And I have to admit that I oftentimes skip this part. Anybody else? Um, the, the introduction to the psalm, because uh, I don't know what, I still don't know what Mahalath Leonoth is. I spent some time researching, still don't know, and that's okay. Um, but what we do find in here is that it's who its author is. Its author is Haman or Heman, or the only humorous part of the whole psalm here is going to be imagining He-Man, the cartoon character from the 80s, saying all of this. Heman. Now, now we know actually a little bit about Heman. He's mentioned in the Bible. He's mentioned in First Chronicles. He's mentioned in First Chronicles as a musician in David's court. So he was part of this group called the Sons of Korah. And this was uh, maybe temple musicians, and they, they composed actually several psalms. If you flip in your in your book, in your Bible, to Psalm in the 40s. Specifically, 42 is one that is pretty famous as the deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you, and um, other lines in the psalm that I'm not remembering off the top of my head. But it's very famous. 
psalm. And, and so what we know is just a little bit about Heman, but we don't know the direct impetus for why he wrote Psalm 88. But we could, we could guess, perhaps, that this is the darkest night of his life in what otherwise was defined as being a temple musician with, with joy. We could be he suffered his whole life, and this was a, a, a summary of his grief. We don't know. But what I do know is that this is in the Bible. Psalm 88 is, is here for us. So as we dive into these words, we're going to notice that the sorrow, the sadness that he has, it's not something that was ripped out of the Bible. It's here for us. So let's, let's dive in, verses 1 through 2. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. So Haman, he cries out to the Lord, the God of my salvation. And notice that he's not, this is a personal address. This is not worth overlooking that he's actually going to somebody with his sorrows. The very first verse tells us he's crying out to O Lord. And I'm curious if your translations have Lord in all capitals, the L-O-R-D. That's, uh, no, some of them do. Mine did. And that means Yahweh, right? That's uh, the name of the God of his salvation. So he's not just saying like, OMG or something. He's saying, like, God, Yahweh, I know you. Hear my cry. Day and night, what's left? <laughs> Nothing, right? He's day and night. He's going to, going to God. And he's, he's saying he's going to cry. It's not something that we typically want to do, is come to God or come to other people with our, with our cries, but we should go to God, not just when we have it together. I, I think a lot of times I'm, I'll, I'll be first to admit, I go to God not just with my cries, but maybe when I'm feeling fine, when everything's fine. But Heman is not going only to God. In his praises, he's crying out to God, a petition for deliverance. So we shouldn't only approach God when we feel like we have it together. That's, I think, one takeaway for us right now. In the same way that I, I want you to know that when you come here, when you come to the vine, you don't have to come all put together. You come as you are, right? We come broken. It's the disease to need a physician, as Jesus said, right? So Heman is going to go to God, and what is he going to go to God with his cry? Let's read verses 3 through 5. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit, I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You'll read Sheol in the Bible plenty of times, and it means the grave. It means death. It's a shorthand there. In fact, later on when you read Abaddon, that's like a synonym for Sheol. So what is it that Haman is fearful of here. Look at it. It says, my life draws near to Sheol. He's fearing dying. He's fearing dying. This is common experience for all of us. We all die. <laughs> Sorry for the bad news today, folks, but this is something that we all have to encounter here. And, and look, he says, not just that his life draws near to Sheol, that he's full of trouble here, but he's going to go down to the pit. In the pit, it has a significance of an unmarked grave. An unmarked grave, like a criminal. You just, back in the day, you just discard them into a common unmarked grave, and that's where Haman feels like he's going. So not just a death, but a, a shame. 
shameful death. And I think a lot of us know this feeling here. I am a man who has no strength. Those of you who feel like, maybe not today, but maybe in your past, or maybe it is today that you feel like you have no strength. You feel like you're set loose among the dead. And this is a very disturbing thought, I have to admit. As I was practicing this with Annie like a week ago, just walking through this, this sermon, she was giving me one of these looks like, whoa, that's, that's too much. Feeling like you have no strength, like death is upon you. This is a disturbing thought. And a lot of us actually have these thoughts on a regular basis. I, I don't know if anybody else does, but I'll admit on a probably weekly basis, I have a thought, and maybe it's while I'm biking to work or while I'm just cooking or whatever, just the thought pops into my mind of, of reality that there's suffering in this world. We might want to push that away, but look at what, what Haman is doing here. He's going to God with his cries. And if you are a person that struggles with these sorts of thoughts, I just want to recognize that Romans 12.5 says that we are of the same body. This is not something that is erased from the Bible, that Haman has these thoughts, but look at how he's going to God with them. He's praying for deliverance. And now we turn to verses 6 and 7, where we look at what is causing his suffering. Verses 6 and 7 say, You have put me in the depths of the pit. In the regions dark and deep, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. So notice that he's turning to God as the subject. Whereas before he felt that he was going into the pit, notice in verse 6 it says, you have put me in the depths of the pit. God is doing these actions. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. Now, there are some interpretations for this, uh, for this psalm. Some people would approach the psalm in a way and say, well, Haman must have done something wrong here, right? He, maybe uh, this is the consequence of his own sin. And that's certainly the case for, for us if we sin, right? If you cheat on your spouse, if you lie and are caught, it, there's suffering involved. But that's not, I, I don't think that's convincing here about what's going on. Later in the psalm, it says, from my youth up, which conveys a degree of innocence here. And this puts the prosperity gospel out there for complete falsification, that health and wealth aren't ours to grab here. Haman may not have sinned. I think a more convincing school of thought here that's in line with books like Job is that Haman is suffering through no fault of his own. This is tough. What does it mean then if Haman is suffering your wrath God putting him in the pit. What does that mean? If it, what if it's not because of his sin, but it's because of like capital S sin, corporate sin? This is a reality that we must wrestle with, I think, as Christians. This is not something to shy away from. It's in Scripture. There's a quote from the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon. Um, this was, I thought, spoke really well to that suffering is a reality for us in, in, in Christian life. Notice his quote here says, I note that some whom I greatly love and esteem, who are in my judgment among the very choicest of God's people, nevertheless travel most of the way to heaven by night. This is a tough truth. There's no easy answer here. If you go read, read the book of Job, the suffering that Job goes through, there's no single answer that you can put in your pocket. The answer is actually a person, not to skip ahead too much. 
So we shouldn't be afraid of, of, these, of these truths. Notice that this is in Scripture. And so we should be continuing to follow the line of logic here as we go through Psalm 88. What do we do with these thoughts? Look where, where Haman is going here. He says, verses 8 through 9, You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you. Oh, Lord, I spread out my hands to you. So here we actually might have uh, some, some people think maybe what is the actual impetus for this suffering. It could be about his friends betraying him. Um, there's an echo of this line at the very end in verse 18. Some of you have had friends betray you. This is why I'm glad kindergarten through fifth graders are in here. You've had friends betray you. I know you have. That feels, that feels awful. Feels awful. But look, look at how Haman approaches the situation. He calls every day upon the Lord. Every day. Don't ignore that he's going to God every day and spreading out his hands. Spreading out his hands is a, a posture of petition. Asking. Asking for deliverance. It's not just a complaint, right? This is a holding out one's hands for deliverance. And then he's going to turn here. Let's go to verses 10 through 12. He's going to turn to asking questions of doubt. It says, do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon or Sheol? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? This is an amazing truth to me that these verses, these questions, these questions of doubt, doubting God, do you know that the questions of doubt are in the Bible? So if you're a person, I'm, I'll admit, I struggle with doubt. I, I do. I doubt God's goodness. Really? Are, you gonna, are the departed really going to rise up to praise you, God? There's suffering in this world. It's, I think, natural to ask these questions. This is, I, I think this is amazing to me that Scripture in itself contains questions of doubt and how to approach God with those questions. It's, it doesn't just leave us hanging. So if you do struggle with these doubts, we can, like Haman, go to God. Let's keep hammering this point, but Haman's going to God, asking for deliverance, asking these questions. He's asking these questions to God. That's giving God an opportunity to answer. We'll find out what that answer is, I think, shortly. Verses 13 through 15. But I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. This is the part of the psalm where I would have expected it to be sad, 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 and then finally good. But no, it's the further amplification of this darkness. Further amplification of the suffering. But I think it's further amplification as well of the point that Haman is, in verse 13, going to the Lord in the morning, waking up and going to the Lord. Exam- examine also the emotions here. I think that's, that's one thing I took away from this section is his, um, his emotions. He's feeling like he's suffering terror, feeling helpless. And this goes back to the, the beginning of what I, where I mentioned that I think oftentimes we want to approach God like we got it all together. In the same way that we want to approach each other like we've got it all together yeah, this thing is not so great, this thing's not so good, but, you know, it's fine. 
I don't think God is a necessarily an upper Midwesterner who is just like cool with stuffing emotions down. It's fine. It's fine. That's a common refrain in our house. We'll joke with each other about, how are, how are you doing? I'm fine. I had three things go wrong today, but I'm fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. I, that, that's not what Psalm 88 says in verse like 16. It's not going to say, but I'm fine. Right? It, conti- it says, I'm helpless. His emotions aren't stuffed. Do you go to God with your emotions? Are you honest with God about your emotions that you have? I know I'm not all the time. I think that's a, that's a reality to confront in these verses. He goes and he asks these questions. God's not afraid of these questions. Let's keep going. Verses 16 through 18. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Bummer. And this is a song, by the way. (laughs) This is a song. Would have been tough to sing this song today. Um, The final part of the psalm is, of course, the, the darkest. And darkness literally has the last word, both in our English translation and in Hebrew. And I keep going back to thinking that, geez, if I was in charge of editing the Bible at some point, I might have, like, cut this part out. (laughs) This is a little too sad, a little bit of a bummer. But it's not cut out. It's actually in God's word for us. God is not afraid of Haman's emotions. He's not afraid of your emotions. He's not away from you in your suffering. And here we approach the reality that we all have had, will have, or are currently having days of suffering. And I, I am, I think, the least qualified to talk about that. I have been extremely blessed in my life. And I, I know that there are people in this room who have gone through tremendous suffering. And this, this is tough. Like, there's, God doesn't give verse 19 and say, it's fine. These questions are asked to God. And so here we might have to I have to approach a reality that maybe the end goal here isn't like this is a punishment for Haman or that everything's fine. But what if the point is that in our suffering, we are supposed to go to God? What if that's the goal? That in our suffering, we go to him. That in the darkness, we approach God and ask for deliverance. What if that's the point of this? Pretty sad psalm. But here's the good news. I, I, this, this, this is amazing to me that if we approach the psalm, we're going to read it again. We're going to see how Jesus, in the person of Jesus, he redeems, he completely redeems Psalm 88. See, no matter our amount of suffering, Jesus did suffer more, died on a cross, shameful public execution. And Luke, uh, in Luke chapter 24... Verse 44, Jesus, after his resurrection, this is what he's, he's going to tell his disciples. This is like Easter night. He's after his resurrection, and this is what he tells his disciples. This is a, I don't know which translation this is. It might be a little different than the ESV. But it says, this is what I told you. Jesus says this to his disciples. This is what I told you while I still walked in your company, how all that was written of me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. So in Christ, 
the full significance of these songs of Israel is going to be revealed. Let's, let's go back through the psalm. We're going to go verses 1 through 3 at this point. O Lord, God, imagine these words now. I'm sorry, before we read it. Imagine these words as, uh, from the lips of Jesus. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. As we look at these verses, verse 1, I cry out day and night. Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, as his life is in actual mortal danger, he cries out to God, just like the psalm says. And in John 12, the account of Jesus in the garden, Jesus says himself that his soul is troubled, just like verse 3, that his, and his soul is troubled even to death. Verses 4 through 5, again, words, think about these as the words of Jesus at this point. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. See, Jesus was counted as a criminal whose grave would have been in the pit had it not been for Joseph of Arimathea. His grave would have been unmarked. And like at the end of verse 4, it says, I'm a man who has no strength. The, the Romans had to compel a, a bystander to carry Jesus' cross for him. He had no strength. Jesus went through Psalm 88. He keeps going through it. Look at verses 6 through 9. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them, and I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. See, Jesus did die, and Jesus did go into the depths. He went into a tomb, literally went into the darkness of a tomb, this is, this is something that happened 2,000 years ago. And if we read what happens as, as Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked God that the, the, the cup, the cup of God's wrath, would be passed from him, but it's, it's not. He's on the cross. The wrath lies heavy upon him. It's God's wrath that was poured out on him. And he was a horror to his friends. His friends betrayed him. I mean, even just the grotesque sight of what was, was happening there must have made him a horror to them. In verse 9, he says, I spread out my hands to you. Jesus' hands were literally spread out on the cross as he's crying out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He asks a question from the Psalms. Just like in verses 10 through 12, do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Brothers and sisters, these questions, I think, are beautiful for those of us that know the truth of Jesus. Haman, when he wrote these questions, he, what he knew by faith in asking these, these questions of doubt and going to God in faith, we know by truth that, yes, God does work wonders for the dead. In Jesus' resurrection, yes, we know that the dead rise up to praise him. And if we had a lot of time and um, I had a theology degree, we could go into 1 Peter 4, which suggests that the gospel was preached even in Jesus' death to those who were dead. I'll let a different person address that in their sermon. 
verses 13 through 15. Verses 13 through 15. But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. See, God did hide his faith from Jesus on the cross in order that Jesus' death would atone for us, for all sin. Like all sin, the capital S, sin. And here, Jesus continues to fulfill this psalm. From his youth up, Jesus was hunted. King Herod committed atrocities to the children of Bethlehem. He fulfills and redeems this psalm. Verses 16 through 18. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. We can allow these verses, I think we can allow these verses to mean so much more when we, when we take them in light of the gospel, which is the good news. That's what the word gospel means, the good news. That Psalm 88 is redeemed and the sufferings of this world are redeemed in the death and resurrection of Jesus. See, darkness, having the last word here in the psalm, that's, that's true of Jesus' earthly life. The darkness did have the last word, but that's not how it is for eternity. That the sufferings we go through are temporal. We just read through uh, Philippians about Paul's sufferings. There's darkness. And it was God's wrath that was poured out. Jesus let darkness have the victory in his earthly life, but that's not the end. It's not the end. Christian, and, and all who, are, who can hear here, Jesus' death redeems these sorrows, and Jesus' death allows you to participate in eternal joy. We still have present sufferings. We live in a time, the in-between, before Jesus returns. He promises to return. He also promised his disciples that he would raise, he would be raised on the third day. And that would be his victory over capital S, sin. So what I would ask for you now to to think about is, what do you do with this information? You might be sitting here thinking, okay, cool, what do I do with this information? You like the application points. I'm with you. I think I have two for you. The first is to accept the gospel. If you have not accepted the gospel yet, the gospel message that this this death of Jesus, this is free forgiveness for all of you. All you need to do is accept the gift of Jesus' death and his resurrection, which promises you newness of life for eternity. It means accepting a loving God who would come to earth and suffer. Not pointlessly, but for a good reason. And God is here waiting for you in the the open arms of Jesus. God is waiting for you with open arms, even in your cries for deliverance, even in your cries of suffering and of doubt. God is waiting for you. I think that's point number one, accept this gospel. And those of you who have accepted this before, we need this, this is a daily exercise, right? We need to do this day in and day out to remember this gospel message. And then I think the second application point would be for us to remember to go to God first over 
our coping mechanisms. So going to God first, like Haman does, instead of our typical coping mechanisms. Remember, the main point here, the main point is that we are going to be, this psalm teaches us to pray for deliverance in our sufferings, and it points us to Jesus. How do we pray for deliverance in our sufferings? Well, I don't know about you. I'll, I'll I'll admit that I do not always go to God in my moments of suffering. Recently, I think like a lot of you, I, I heard the news of what happened in Texas and I, at that school, and just doubt washes over me. Utter hopelessness washes over me. I don't know if that happened to anybody else. And I can remember walking the halls of where I work and just feeling dread. I did not run to God in those moments. I think like a lot of you, like we, it's, it's not abiblical to have these, these doubts. Haman has these doubts. But look what he does. He goes to God with them. We, we might stuff our emotions as well. That might, so instead of going to God, maybe we cope by just stuffing it and saying everything's fine, ignoring it, pretending it's not there. Or maybe it's something material. Maybe like you just go to the infinite scroll. Maybe you have to have that, uh, too many drinks that night to wash away the pain. Maybe you go to something you can control. Work. I'll work extra hard. That way I can feel better. But look, how, we're supposed to be coping with this by running to God first. None of those things are necessarily like that, that, that bad to, to feel this wash of suffering over you, but going to God, I think, is the prescription from Psalm 88 for us today. See, God can use Haman, this broken man from thousands of years ago. The words, I don't know what Haman was thinking when he wrote all this down. Darkness has the last word. If he was going to imagine that, you know, thousands of years from now, we would be gathered looking into these words and trying to find hope in them. But there they are. They're on the page. It's in the Psalms for us. See, God can use the cries of a broken man from thousands of years ago to impact us today. And I have a, I have a visual illustration to, to sort of round us out. Um, I, I thought this was really cool as I was preparing for this. I, I encountered a Japanese art form called kintsugi, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. But kintsugi, um, the, the, I love the illustration for this. That's uh, an art form where someone accidentally drops their cup or their bowl or piece of pottery or whatever, and it's broken. Oh, no. And the artist, in this case, will take that broken bowl, and then bind it back up. See there in the second picture with rubber bands. And then what they do is they put these pieces back together with um, an adhesive with gold embellishments, or I don't, know, gold, I don't know what gold glue, I don't know how that, exactly this works, but they put it back together, and they even find sometimes pieces from other pottery that's been broken to meld it back together. And the end result is that the final product is actually way more valuable than the original. The broken, I think this represents our journey as we're going through suffering. As we allow this sermon to impact us today, as we allow the psalm to impact us today more, more so, as we allow the psalm to impact us, we see that Haman's suffering has been, and Jesus' suffering has been put back together into something that's more beautiful than what we could have originally imagined. This brokenness is conveyed in the bread and the cup. And so we're going to transition as, as, a, as we round this out. We're going to approach the bread and the cup, that the sufferings of Jesus are those that save us. 
And that in Jesus' night of darkness, he prayed that the cup would be spared of him. But he endured it. He endured the brokenness, and his blood was poured out so that we could experience eternal joy rather than eternal suffering. This is the new covenant that's going to be in his body and his blood as we transition to communion. I'm going to, I'll pray for us. Father, you are so good to us, and Psalm 88 is confusing. Your word is not always clear-cut and have clear answers for us that we can go to. But that, that the Bible is this story that we are involved in today. You're still writing the story, and we get to encounter your word. May it bring newness of life to us. May we leave today more intimately aware of who you are in your sufferings and what you endured, and that you are waiting for us with open arms as we go through suffering. You want us to approach your throne. You want us to go to you first. God, may we do that today and as we go forward. We thank you for your wisdom in your psalms. In your name we pray. Amen.